You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Campus Beat. You are listening to CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario, in the basement of Crothers Hall here at Queen's University. And I have the great pleasure to welcome Amanda Brizenden, a PhD candidate in chemical engineering with a specialty in biomedical engineering here at Queen's University. She's also the winner of the 2019 3MT or three minute thesis competition here at Queen's University. Amanda, welcome to the studio today. Thank you for having me in. This is really exciting to have you uh, have you in so you can tell us all about the great research that you're doing as a graduate student at Queen's. Tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about some of the research you're doing in uh, the en- in engineering. Great. Uh, so my name is Amanda, as you've mentioned. I am working towards my PhD. I have about two years left. Uh, and I also did my undergrad here at Queen's as well in chemical engineering. Uh, I'm in Dr. Brian Amston's lab. Uh, it's a biomaterials lab with a focus on soft connective tissues. Uh, so my research is on the spine. Uh, Outside of the lab, though, I also am an avid outdoorsist. I spend a lot of time hiking, climbing, paddling. um, Helps break up the days spent in the lab sometimes. Um, Yeah. Okay. So what inspired your interests uh, generally in chemical and biomedical engineering? So I originally went into chemical engineering knowing I had an interest in biology, and chemical engineering was a nice option to start exploring that early. Uh, So at Queen's, engineering has a general first year, so I got exposed to lots of different types of engineering. Uh, I knew I had a passion for biology, though, and when you look at the curriculum, chemical engineering starts exposing you to some biological engineering courses in second year. Uh, The other ones, you have to wait a little bit further into the degree to start specializing different areas. So that's what drew me in. I find biology a fascinating field, the complexity of the different systems, how interconnected everything is. Uh, but I also love the aspect of engineering, where it's a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more of a perspective towards building and developing, uh, where some of the other science programs were more of a focus on sort of studying phenomena in a little bit of a different way. Uh, so that's sort of how I found my way into biochemical engineering. And at the end of undergrad, I started as a master's student, um, again, looking to continue to find an intersection between chemical engineering and biology. Uh, that's how I ended up in the biomedical, the collaborative biomedical engineering program at Queen's. Uh, and once I started the master's, I realized two years just wasn't quite enough. So I transferred into a PhD program. So that helped streamline grad school a little bit. So I should hopefully have everything wrapped up with hopefully five, five and a half years. But uh, research sometimes doesn't go as you plan. So maybe six years. (laughs) Gotcha. So that's an interesting process that I have heard of uh, and does happen sometimes at Queen's University, though not every program uh, has room for this, but you, um, I don't know what the word is, not upgraded to a PhD, but leveled up. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I call it a promotion. Promotion to, Uh, yeah. Transfer, promotion. Okay. So that was a process that you looked at at what point in your master's degree did you think, oh, geez, maybe this is something that's going to take a little while longer? Yeah, about a year in, 
it was on my radar. My supervisor suggested it. I, for a number of different reasons, the project had some space to grow. Uh, things hadn't gone quite as expected off the start, so I had wanted to take the project to a certain point, and I knew that wasn't going to be feasible in a two-year master's. Uh, so when he brought it up, I thought about it for a little bit, and by about a year and a half into my master's, I had committed to that process. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-way street, so once you've transferred into the PhD, you can't go back. Right. So uh, at that point, uh, I filled in the paperwork, got a few references, and it was a pretty easy process as well. But you also have, would have had to do comprehensives? Yes. Uh, that came about, I guess, now a year and a half after the actual transfer. Okay. So it still gives you some time. You have the opportunity to really define the scope of your PhD project, write the project proposal. Uh, and in chemical engineering, that project proposal is the bulk of your comprehensive exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you submit the detailed proposal, and then you have your oral exams uh, just based on the content in that that proposal. So those are done now as well. <laughs> Phew. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Well, you've, you certainly have been uh, busy in that regard, for sure. Um, so now tell us a little bit more in terms of digging into the, your actual research project. What inspired your interest in research into uh, the human spine and pain alleviation? So to some extent, it actually started, this project grew from a, from a material. Uh, so I'd been working on developing a polymer with a postdoc uh, who was in the lab at the time. And the material would act as a hydrogel, so essentially like a very soft jello. Uh, it was, should have good properties uh, for use in the body, uh, good degradation properties, non-toxic, not going to cause harm to the cells. Uh, And we were looking to see if, A, we could make the material consistently, uh, and B, what those properties were and how we could work with them. Uh, So with that material in mind, when I talked to my supervisor about staying on for a PhD, we sort of focused in on the spine, uh, which was sort of a discussion between the two of us. As I mentioned, the the lab focuses on connective tissue, and particularly load-bearing connective tissue. So we look a lot at articular cartilage in the joints, Um, the soft tissues in the spine, ligaments, tendons, things like that, that need to be a little bit stronger than some of the other tissues in the body. Uh, And for me, the spine is a soft spot. I had a bad back injury as a child, um, so I'm definitely going to feel the consequences of that as I get older. I mentioned I like outdoor sports. I was also a gymnast growing up, so I put my body through a lot, and uh, it's something that I think is relevant for so many people. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't think I've ever met someone who's never had a problem with their backs and with sort of just like chronic low levels of pain. And as our population starts to change and we're getting a little older in general in Canada, um, I think it's only going to become a bigger issue. And so it's an interesting area and it's technically in the field of regenerative medicine, Mm -hmm. that idea of restoring and regenerating tissues. And I think that's a really interesting and growing field. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of career opportunity as well in that area. Uh, So I had sort of the personal interest from personal experience, um, but it really did start with the material and then grew into a focus on the spine, um, which is what we think the material should work well with. And I think we can tune its properties 
to hopefully be well suited for that application. All right. Now, with the kind of research that you have been doing, it sounds like there might be some uh, synergies directly with medicine. And you did mention medicine a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Have you considered, or is uh, would there be a logical step if you went in and did a medical degree as well? Or it's funny you asked that. I've thought a lot about medicine. And right now, that is actually something I'm I'm seriously considering for after school. I've actually, uh, for my birthday, I got my MCAT study textbooks. <laughs> so it is something that is on my radar. I'm not 100% sure that that's uh, definitely where I want to end up, but it's something that I've thought a lot about. Um, whether that is more research in a clinical setting, uh, having that option to go between the two fields, uh, there is a lot of overlap. We study as part of my comprehensives and as part of my PhD, you know, I had to learn a lot about anatomy, immunology, as well as then the material sciences and developing synthetic polymers. Uh, So working a lot with the mechanical engineering department as well. And so I found that overlap. Uh, I still had that excitement for biology. And I really think that's the side of things I would like to end up in in a long-term career. Mm-hmm. And so medical school is is on my radar. And I think there is a lot of overlap. In the collaborative biomedical engineering program, we do sometimes have students who are doing the MD-PhD program as well. Because mm-hmm. the sciences do really complement each other, having that both the clinical understanding and then the, the research side with the materials and different aspects. Uh, I mean, a lot of our research is collaborative and we do work a lot with surgeons. Because if they can't use the material you're making, why are you making it? <laughs> exactly. Oh, wow. But really exciting opportunities and lots of yeah. choices for you moving forward, including, yeah, like continuing to develop the research that you've been doing mm-hmm. and augmenting and building upon that still further. Wow. Really good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. So one of the things I'd really love to hear about, and I think uh, some of our listeners would as well. Um, So this is pretty fascinating and extraordinary and very useful research for how many folks don't we know (laughs) that don't have some kind of back issue or concerns about this. But what does the actual research process look like? Like, I imagine that you're are you sitting in front of some test tubes under a fume hood a lot? Or what does that look like? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? I think the research sounds more exciting than it is on a day-to-day basis. I do a lot more chemistry than I think people expect. Uh, so developing biomaterials, particularly synthetic biomaterials, I have had to really refresh my organic chemistry background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spend most of my time working in the fume hood. Uh, whether that's uh, running some syn- like synthesis reactions, so just sitting around mixing chemicals in, in beakers and hoping they make what I want them to make, um, as well as then analyzing those. So again, a lot of collaboration between different departments. I spend a lot of time actually in Chernoff using their facilities there. Uh, doing nuclear magnetic resonance imaging is probably something I do almost every day, uh, which is actually the same thing uh, when you think about MRIs. Mm -hmm. uh, It's the same sort of science, just on a little bit of a smaller scale. So you use magnets to study an individual molecule. 
um, rather than the makeup of your whole body. Um, but it gives you tons of great information about the molecule you're making. Uh, so I use that a lot. So a lot of chemistry, a lot of time in the lab. I think that's also something I find really found really interesting learning about, sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but during the 3MT, talking to students doing PhDs and masters in different fields, I realized that the amount of wet lab time, so actually being in the lab, mixing things, processing different materials, it does, that's a bit different for a lot of people. In different fields, you might spend more time at a desk, at a, working with a computer, going through different programs, things like that. Uh, and so for me, that's a good thing. I like sort of getting getting up, moving around, working with my hands. Um, I'm also sitting here talking with my hands. <laughs> yes, you are. And so I am. I like to work with my hands, talk with my hands. Uh, so that's a nice aspect of this research is that, that time spent in the lab working. Um, however, that often tends to long PhDs because sometimes things are tough to do at certain times of the year. Ontario is very humid and my reaction is incredibly sensitive to water. <laughs> so from about now until October, I'm going to be battling the humidity in the air. Uh, and there's, there's different techniques to overcome that, but it's one of those things that you don't really think about when you go into your research is that I live in Canada and it's humid. So that's just a, a unique challenge in that. Um, but then beyond the chemistry as well, uh, as I mentioned, we work a lot with the mechanical engineering department. So looking at testing the mechanical properties of materials. And for that, I actually moved sort of to a larger scale than the chemistry, working on like compression tests with little sort of hockey puck shaped, though much smaller than hockey pucks, samples and compressing them and looking at their properties under compression. And then we also have a fairly large um, biological lab. So uh, it's a biohazard lab. We work with a variety of different cell lines in that space. Um, so at that point, uh, again, sort of sitting at the, this time the biological safety cabinet, uh, isolating certain cell lines, um, sometimes there are, sorry, certain cells, sometimes it's a uh, primary cells, sometimes we work um, with a few different groups that use different uh, sort of immortalized cells. Uh, as well as then characterizing those, lots of staining, sectioning of different materials so you can look at them under the microscope. Uh, so again, lots of lab time on the biology side as well. Uh, for my project, that's going to come a little bit more at the end. Uh, so a lot of the chemistry right now, and then once the material is consistent and well characterized, I'll start working more with cells as well. Okay. So um, just in a, as an aside too, can you tell us a little bit about the mentorships that you've been participating in? Who's mentoring you and in, 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 in this regard, who are you also mentoring in the process? Absolutely. Uh, so I've been very fortunate to be a part of uh, an NSERC CREATE program. So the CREATE programs are, uh, so it's a sort of a large funding program. Uh, so there's different aspects, but a big part of that is mentorship and collaboration. So it brings together different universities. Uh, so for this one, we have students and PIs from U of T, Western, Queens, of course, uh, and the University of Calgary. And we all come together once a year for annual general meetings. We have scientific modules where we get uh, different lectures and workshops with the different supervisors from across the universities as well as a lot of collaboration with industry and surgeons. So that's been a great program to really bring together a large, diverse team. Uh, so I've been really, my, my supervisor here at Queen's, Dr. Amston, is my main mentor, and he's provided most of the guidance around my day-to-day -day work in the lab. 
but I also work a lot with Dr. Bryant in the mechanical engineering department, uh, helping me work through the mechanical engineering side, the mechanical properties. Uh, and then oh, also at uh, Western, there's a really strong team, uh, a little bit more of the focus on cells. We actually work a little bit with stem cells, so there's a strong uh, focus on adipose, which is fat tissue, um, adipose-derived stem cells, uh, which is really interesting. People often don't think of stem cells, very specific thoughts in mind, often bone marrow or embryos, which is a little more controversial. But there's also some stem cells in our fat tissues, which are easier to get than other places. So I've ha had a lot of strong mentorship from the supervisors uh, and the professors at Western. Um, and then sort of on the other side, uh, I've had an opportunity to work a lot with a number of undergrads. Uh, and it's sort of weird to think this, but I'm now the old... Uh, most senior PhD student in my lab. So I get to work with a lot of the incoming students, helping them get up to speed on the different equipment. Um, I find that weird to say just because I don't feel like I've been around long enough <laughs> to be the senior PhD student. Um, but I've just been in the lab a long time. So that's a great opportunity um, to, to help mentor incoming students, help provide hopefully some good direction on what the capabilities in the lab are and different things to look at with their projects. We also have a new postdoc who's just started in our lab, Kyla Sask, Dr. Sask, who will be leaving us unfortunately to go to McMaster, but she's also been an incredible role model in terms of teaching me a little bit more about the cell and protein side of things mm -hmm. and her experiences in industry, depending on where I end up afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but working with undergrads has been a great opportunity to really see through the projects for fourth-year thesis students and summer students as well, and hopefully get them excited about being in a lab, but also aware of what it really looks like to work <laughs> in a lab. Indeed, indeed. So um, with the research that you've been undertaking, uh, what are some of the things that, you, um, that you've discovered or found that really excite you most? Um... Sorry, I'm gonna or is that a hard a question? I actually think that is it is a hard question. I think um, something something I've noticed about the structure of of the, the projects in in at least in the field that I'm in is there's a lot of legwork at the start. The first few years are very intensive trying to make this material that you've set your mind on and trying to make it perfectly, um, and it. That's a, it's a little bit of an uphill battle at the start. And then at the end, you start to actually see the product of all this work. You get to see the properties that it has um, and then how cells start to interact with it. So I think a lot of the excitement actually comes towards the end where people actually get to start to see the sort of fruits of their labor. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm still a little bit in the uphill battle. Um, I think some of the aspects, uh, and this might sound awful, but when... I design an experiment for, with a, or a synthesis process with using my fairly questionable organic chemistry knowledge, um, <laughs> and, then, and then it works the way I expected, and I can actually see that product and, and know that I got to the point I wanted to get to, so I actually synthesized the molecule I was targeting. And I think sometimes when I learned about these things in, in lecture halls, it's it seems so maybe black and white that it's going to be a really easy process that this happens and this happens. But when you actually get in the lab and you start to see all the intricacies and how challenging actually making the reactions proceed is, um, when you've come to the end and it's like, ah, 
this is the molecule I wanted to make. And there it is. And it's great. And it's doing the things I wanted it to do. Uh, I think that for me has been a rewarding part. Um, I don't, I, when I think of things that I've discovered, nothing, I feel like I'm still in the discovery process. Um, but it sounds like uh, even just on a day-to-day basis, uh, when you uh, encounter these successes that are helping to build the blocks in order mm-hmm. to complete the whole project, yeah. once you get those little blocks, each little block is one step further towards your goal. That yeah. is pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and and something to look forward to every day. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, okay, let's sh- now shift our focus of our conversation towards 3MT. For our mm-hmm. listeners out there in Radioland, 3MT is the three-minute thesis, which uh, actually is a national competition amongst graduate students across disciplines and across the country. And uh, recently, there was a 3MT uh, heat or competition, I guess, here at uh, Queen's University. I believe there were 12 participants. Am I correct it, on that? In the finals, there was 12. There were 12 but, finalists. Yeah. Oh, but it started out with, I guess, a lot more. Yeah. How many? Around 30, I think. Okay. But Colette might be able to confirm that. <laughs> I think it started around 30. The original heats, I think, were 9 or 10 each. Okay. And there was three of them. All right. So uh, what is 3MT ultimately, and why did you participate? So what is 3MT? Uh, well, it's an opportunity to distill down your research, um, either a master's or a PhD project, into three minutes that hopefully your audience wants to hear about. Uh, so highlighting the motivation, what you've done, and why it matters. Uh, so it is a little challenging to bring it down to three minutes, uh, but it's a great way to capture people's attention and get them thinking about the research that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, why I participated, there was, I think, a number of reasons I decided to participate this year. Uh, I saw the finals last year, and when I was watching, I was thinking this is such a cool thing to be a part of. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, some friends of mine who were in grad school. I knew the fields they were in, but actually hearing this sort of distilled down three minutes, I was like, oh, wow, I think I know more about your research than I did before. And so that got me interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, I'm a volunteer at uh, Kingston General Hospital. And something I think about a lot uh, just while I'm at the hospital is communicating thoughtfully Uh, things that are sometimes hard for people to understand if they don't have a background in anatomy and biology and medicine um, and making it accessible in a way that helps people to connect with their experience while they're at the hospital. And so after seeing the finals and spending some more time at the hospital, I was starting to think about what that meant for myself and how I communicate my research. I'm also terrible at answering the question so what are you doing research on <laughs> whenever someone you know someone at the climbing gym is like oh you're a student what are you researching and I sort of go oh biomaterials uh, for the spine and I wasn't very effective at answering that question or finding that right balance between way too much detail and not enough detail that they've just completely lost interest in what I was saying and so uh, I thought hey, this could be a good exercise in going through that. And so I decided to enter. It was a good year for me as well. My comprehensive exams were done uh, and I wasn't TAing this semester. So I felt like I had a little more time than usual. 
So I entered this year. All right. And now tell us about the competition itself that you participated in. What does it look like from like the first heat to the uh, final competition you participated in? Yeah. So you sign up. Um, they give you some advice. There's some workshops uh, to help you start to prep your uh, presentation as well as your slide. So you have three minutes to speak and you have one slide that's stationary. So no animations, no changes or anything. So you have some direction getting ready, and then there, for us, there were three heats, so one a day for a couple days, um, and there's a judging panel, a variety of different judges, some of them from the Queens community, from the Kingston community, and we each go up, our slide goes up on the big screen, and you have three minutes, there's a big timer, so you can keep track of where you're at, uh, and at the end, the judges choose their top three, top two during the early heats, and then a People's Choice Award as well. Uh, sorry, it was, it was top three. Top three during the heats and a People's Choice Award, and those four people together go on to the finals. Um, so we ended up with the 12 finalists. Uh, the last day, you all come together, a little nervous, uh, and again, there's a new panel of judges, um, same space, and the audience has a chance to vote for their People's Choice Award, and the judges choose their top three, and the first place um, goes on to the Ontario three-minute thesis, which this year is at McMaster. Okay, and you'll be going to this Ontario competition at McMaster, I believe, on April 17th. That's right. And how many people are you competing with there? So that actually varies a little bit from year to year, and as far as I know, it hasn't been uh, defined just yet, but it usually ranges between 15 and 20 people just depending on how many universities in Ontario put forward a candidate. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe every university or post-secondary institution can put forward a candidate, so you could have lots of people. Um, but I think it's generally around 17 or 18. Uh, but that final number isn't in just yet. So can you give us a little bit of a hint on what your presentation might sound like? Oh, <laughs> sure. Uh, well, the title is Building Blocks for a Healthier Spine. Uh, and... I mean, starts off with the shocking fact that four in five people in Canada will experience back pain at some point in their life. Uh, so that's sort of the overarching motivation of my research is just that this affects so many people. Um, and I mean, with only three minutes, I touch on a little bit about uh, the motivation. Uh, so back pain being such a common problem, such a debilitating problem for a lot of people. Uh, with uh, very few options really. So many people end up just living on pain management. Uh, and then I look a little bit at what my research is aiming to do, which I guess I never really said effectively, uh, but essentially introducing cells in a protective scaffold, so a biomaterial scaffold into the spine uh, that can hopefully restore the healthy tissue. Um, so a functional healthy tissue as a result of that. Um, and hopefully work towards uh, resolving some of those problems that we have with back pain. Uh, it is a really early phase research. This isn't something you're going to see in clinical trials in the next few years. We're still making the material. We're still working through with cells. Um, but it still opens up a better understanding of what affects the cells, um, how the material affects the cells, and then how the cells change in different environments. So it's all working towards this this final goal. All right. So just a couple more questions before we finish our program for today. Um, why do you think other graduate students should participate in 3MT? 
there was a, a couple of aspects. Uh, one thing I found was at this phase in my research, it actually helped a lot to step back and remember why I started doing this research. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time very focused on the chemistry and how it's all coming together. Uh, and you can, I, I suspect I'm not alone in this. You get a little bit of tunnel vision on the technical side, all the tiny details. And it really helped me to step back and remember the overarching motiva motivation and why I'm working towards this. And it sort of helped me get out of a little bit of a rut of sometimes things weren't working that well in the lab and you're hitting a lot of roadblocks mm. and you're having to do a lot of adapting and changing plans uh, and stepping back and remembering where this was all going and why it mattered. Uh, it actually really helped me get through that sort of low phase in research. And I think I, I suspect I'm not alone in terms of research, graduate school. You have its, it has its ups and downs. Um, and this really helped me to step back and refocus. Uh, so I think that's a great opportunity. And also really honing those communication skills, mm -hmm. being able to effectively explain your research to someone who has no background in your field. Uh, the, the 3MT says this is a presentation to educated but non-specialized audiences. And I think that's really important because in almost any career you end up in, at some point you're going to have to explain your background probably to an educated but non-specialized audience. And so I think it's a great exercise to try and draw out the motivation, what you're actually doing, and why it matters. And find a couple of sentences that sum that up. And whether it means you can whip that out in an interview and answer a question about your thesis, or just communicating at networking events, uh, or in your, in your future career in any way, I think it's a really great exercise to refocus um, what your project really includes and, and why that matters to other people and, mm -hmm. and how you say that in, a, in an accessible way to, to broad audiences. And really quite reinvigorate your own inspiration as well, it yeah. seems. That's fantastic. All right, so last thing, um, any advice that you might have for students thinking about graduate research in your field? I think if you're thinking about graduate studies in biomedical engineering, I think something to keep in mind is it is a lot of time in a lab. So it, that is different from other fields. Uh, sometimes you have a lot of modeling, you're at a desk a lot, but also it's an incredibly multidisciplinary field, working with people from so many different backgrounds and so much opportunity for people from different backgrounds. Um, so don't be afraid if you think you're coming from maybe not the traditional background, you're not an engineer or you don't have a biology degree, that's okay, there's probably a space in the field that your skills are going to fill. And so I think that's really important is to remember that uh, there's a lot of different niches in biomedical engineering. Excellent. Thank you very much, Amanda Brizenden, PhD candidate, chemical engineering with a specialty in biomedical engineering, and also the winner of the 2019 3MT competition here at Queen's University. We wish you the best of luck at the Ontario competition, and of course, in your fabulous, fascinating research. Thank you. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you again.